quick warning, this episode contains conversations about addiction, assault, and depression. Listener discretion is advised. Hey everyone, I'm Carmen. I'm Jackie. And I'm Emily, also known as Douglas. And we're your hosts. Welcome to Generation SOS On Record, a podcast that invites people to share their uncensored stories about mental health and substance use. We invite you to open your minds and your ears and allow these stories to speak louder than statistics ever could. I never really had someone that was going through the same that thing. That musicians feel deeper. You, know, you kind of feel like you can't tell anyone, which is like the opposite of what you they should do. That I'm too young to like have been included in a conversation, which I kind of call bullshit on. Okay, welcome Serena. Thanks for coming on. We're really excited to have you. I want to start off with the basics um, so we can kind of get a sense of who you are. So how old are you? Where are you? Where are you living? And what are you doing? For sure. So um, my name is Serena. I live in New York City. I'm 28 years old and I work in advertising. So we brought you on here because you're involved in Generation SOS um, and which means you have some sort of tie to this mission of this organization as we all do. So can you tell us a little bit about what brought you to Generation SOS and what your personal relationship with substances and mental health is? For sure. Um, so I met Robin, who is one of the founders of SOS, of Generation SOS, probably about a year and a half ago now, or maybe even two years ago at this point. And she immediately said I needed to get involved in with Generation SOS. Um, personally, for, for my entire life, like my mom has raised me with the belief that to those who much is given, much is expected. And so I've always had that mentality of wanting to give back in service and no matter like any way that I possibly can. Um, and so I met Robin right around when I kind of was starting my sobriety journey. Um, I had my last drink at 25 years old and then um, met Robin, I think probably like that October. So it was like May to October, I met, I met her. Uh, it was a couple months in. And, um, you know, the mission really stuck out to me. I, I've had a lot of friends who struggled um, even more than I have with drugs and alcohol. Um, and especially in high school, it was, it was such a big thing. Um, in our my social circles, I've, I know a couple people who died when we were in high school and college, and I actually have a very close friend who passed away last week from an overdose. Um, I'm so, so sorry. Yeah, it's been it's been a tough week, I'm, for sure. But um, you know, I think it it almost just ingrained more in me the the importance of pushing this mission of Generation SOS, just so that people more people are aware of the many many faces of what addiction looks like, because it isn't just being like you know the homeless person under a bridge. They say Park Avenue to Park Bench, addiction affects every single person, um, you know, either directly or indirectly. And so, um, yeah, Robin and um, the whole team at Generation SOS, just their grit, their determination really stuck out to me. And so I've, I've really enjoyed being able to be involved with them for the past two years. Awesome. Thank you for sharing all of that. And again, I um, hate to hear about your friend's passing. So thank you for coming on and sharing that with us. I know it was very recently. So what made you decide you wanted to become sober? Yeah, um, we'll go to the beginning. At around 12 years old, a doctor told me and my mom that I had an addictive personality. And I had been diagnosed with all these food allergies. I just felt so different than everyone else. I was so just like, why can't I be like everyone else? You know, like pity me, pity me. And, and that really became the narrative for me from 12 to like 25 years old. Um, and the doctor then told me that, hey, Serena, like 
you should just avoid obviously avoid drugs because like you know dare was such a big thing at the time this is like you know the early 2000s and um they would all come to school tell us like don't do drugs you do drugs you die and like I almost felt like in those moments I was like of course I'll never do drugs but then I was also like well that kind of sounds nice like I feel really uncomfortable I am like I started having suicidal ideation at like 14 years old like I didn't see my life going in directions that um would ever make like my parents happy whatever you know i i just thought to myself like i'll never become president and i don't have any reason to live like it was like i'm never gonna be the top of the world so therefore i have no reason to live and and that's just like how my mind operated um for a lot of years and so when I started learning about drugs when I got to boarding school. Um, you know, Adderall is such a common thing in, in the education system. And, you know, because I have this addictive personality, I was like scared to ever even try to get prescribed it. But in in high school, I actually started stealing it from people. Like I'd go into people's dorm rooms and like know where they had their bottle and I'd just take one. Um, and I can remember finding a whole prescription bottle in like a study room in my high school and I was like I've hit the jackpot and it had this guy's name on it and I took like half the bottle and then I returned it to him and like we never talked about it um so yeah I started misusing Adderall um because you know I didn't think that I was enough I never thought that I I was like very middle of the pack I wasn't straight A's I was like solid B student without putting too much work in like you know I always just got by um and so from there in high school there was like no drinking allowed at our high school it was a really small boarding school in delaware um and so when i got to college and alcohol was just like everywhere oh wait let me backtrack a little bit um my senior year of high school i was determined to try to walk onto a tennis team wherever i went to college and so senior year i totally changed my diet i started um actually doing yoga I started researching Buddhism I was like researching all this stuff because I was just like I want to be the best and like I was trying to learn like how do these people do it who are the best in the world it's like Djokovic changed his diet scale to number one I was like I'm gonna be just like him so senior year I mean I overdid it because I, I was doing this completely in self-will I went down to 92 pounds at five foot eight um I was just skin and bones and muscle um and you know I was so so uncomfortable on the inside um like <laughs> I look back at those times and I was it was just I I really have a lot of sympathy for my teenage self because she was so uncomfortable and she thought that she was the only one that felt this way um and so when I got to high school and or sorry when I got to college and I did make the tennis team and everything um alcohol was just so ready and like I wasn't drinking in high school that much like I remember like wanting to but like I just never really did it because it was like off, off limits but when I got to college it was everywhere and it was totally allowed um I studied abroad my freshman year at 18 years old in Singapore and in Singapore the drinking age was 18 and I started browning out in Singapore very quickly and so you know, my, my drinking career escalated very quickly. Um, and when I got back to college sophomore year, you know, the, the blackouts really started. I had my first blackout and I was shook and I was just like, I'm never drinking again. A week later, I blacked out again. And then it just became a norm. It was like that, that bar that I always had for myself was just constantly shifting. Um, and so in college drinking just became like, 
it was a funny thing. Everyone talked about like, oh, I got so blacked out last night. Like, oh, you want to go black out together? Like, it was like so normal to black out drinking. Um, and so as the blackouts continued, I also sought, you know, relief in other measures because I was so uncomfortable drinking so much and the drinking was causing me to be so much more depressed and like not able to show up for life and not able to show up for school. Um, I think back to like, I, I'm, I've always been a people person. I've always loved connecting with people. And so I like formed these really solid connections with all my professors to the point that I'm pretty sure all my professors didn't fail me because they're like, well, she's a really good person. (laughs) Totally enabled me because like, there was no way. I think I, I, I actually failed probably out of two or three classes and like somehow managed to see. Um, so anyway, yeah, like kind of like manipulated my way into the grades, manipulated my way around, around campus. Um, you know, as that bar kept shifting, that bar kept getting higher and higher. Like, you know, as a kid, they told us, don't do cocaine, don't do hard drugs. Um, suddenly cocaine was kind of like appearing on campus. Um, and it was like, don't try LSD, don't do Molly, don't do ecstasy, like you're gonna die. It was like, well, maybe if I just go to a concert and I research all the vitamins I have to take around taking these drugs so my brain isn't totally messed up, I can better prepare myself to go take these drugs and mm-hmm. actually like, it'll work out really well. And, you know, that worked for like maybe three concerts and then my body needed more. And my body, that bar kept going higher and higher to the point that I couldn't go out on a night with friends my senior year without cocaine or without the promise of like a deeper, harder drug because alcohol wasn't cutting it anymore. Alcohol is making me black out. And when I blacked out, I was usually taken advantage of by some frat guy at my college and waking up with that shame every day. Also like peeing the bed all the time. Like there was so much shame wrapped up in my life in college that I just thought I was like either the only one or everyone felt the same way. And I didn't know how to speak up. Um, you know, at the time I didn't have the vocabulary to even say what I was feeling. I didn't know that when I was waking up, I was feeling shame and guilt and like, you know, this loss of dignity. Um, I didn't, I didn't know how to articulate myself. So I continued to act out and act out. And, um, it was college though. Like it was kind of normal Like people just did it. (laughs) We were all doing our best and nobody really had the tools it felt. Um, but my senior year, shortly after my 21st birthday, one of my best friends, my only friend really in college, um, she said to me, she's like, I think you have a drinking problem. Like you become a different person when you drink and it's really hard to watch. And, um, I started looking up, like, how do I get help? Who, where are the resources here? Um, and so I looked up meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I looked into therapy and, you know, I, I thought that those meetings for people with addiction issues, like I thought those were only for people who were like under the bridge homeless. So I didn't go. Um, I tried to find a therapist. I tried to go to church. I tried doing all these things. And, um, you know, by the end of my senior year, my, my college basketball team won the national championship. Everyone was having fun partying. And I was at a point where I was like kind of controlling my drinking on my own. And so I thought I'd be okay. Um, fast forward, I moved to New York, um, first Tuesday night in New York city, I picked up cocaine and I was basically just like randomly dabbling in that, um, for the next like four years, Hmm. um, the physical consequences started to get greater. I started having worse headaches. My face was bloated. Um, 
And I started overcompensating with exercise, with like eating totally vegan, with doing juice cleanses, like the elements of how unmanageable my life were in the first four years I lived in New York City. I mean, I just look back and I'm like, how did I, how did I actually like survive? Um, because, you know, the blackouts did continue and like the blackouts in those first four years, they weren't me waking up in some frat guy's bed. It was like me waking up in Harlem and having no idea how I got there. And, um, so summer of 2018, um, or the, the winter of 2018, I started to get really, really dark. Um, my depression started getting worse. I started self-harming in other ways. Um, I was like binging, restricting with food, with shopping, my credit card debt mounted like crazy. Um, and like, I've been very blessed in terms of like my upbringing and like how my parents raised me and everything. And I was so ashamed of how much money I was spending and it was just out of control. And I didn't know how to ask for help. I didn't know how to like put my hand up at work and say, Hey, like I deserve to be paid more than $40,000 a year. Um, I was severely underpaid in my job, um, for the amount of work that I was putting in. And, um, so summer, so winter 2018, it was, it was pretty dark. I was really depressed. I tried to go get help, tried to go to therapist. Um, but it was like, I was seeking that like one-stop shop where like, I'd show up to one time at a therapist and they'd be like, you're better. That's not how it works. Um, and so, uh, summer 2018, the, you know, the blackouts kind of continued, the drinking continued, the party kept going. My life started getting really big. I was like on these like yachts places and I was like, you know, just doing all this like really fun party stuff. And, um, the Labor Day of 2018, um, the Tuesday after my mom called me and she goes, Serena, your aunt or someone called someone called someone who called your aunt who called your cousin to call me to tell me that if you don't stop drinking, you are going to kill yourself or kill someone else. And that right then was like the biggest wake up call because I knew that I had all these consequences happening suddenly like physically, emotionally, mentally, financially, you know, you name it, everything was just like out of alignment. Um, and so that fall of 2018, um, I started listening to recovery podcasts, just like this podcast that you guys are putting out, um, mostly geared toward older, older people. Like it was <laughs> probably people in their fifties that I was listening to for a couple months. And I listened to it every day on the way to work. And it like, you know, I, I listened for the similarities, I discarded the differences, and it brought me so much joy to listen to these podcasts every day. But it was like my greatest hidden secret. Um, because all my friends, everyone I knew uh, that I was like hanging out with, like, they drank in the same way that I did. Um, or so I thought. <laughs> and um, so I kept surrounding myself with the same people. And that meant that I kept staying sick and I kept staying in that that orbit of um you know basically making drugs and alcohol like my higher power like I was just so excited for the weekend I became this weekend warrior I got a job at a tech company I was like you know on the outside everything was looking really really good in this fall 2018 era um but I was just so so depressed um and still drinking so much um and so, you know, I tried a lot of things in about two years. Um, I tried going to church. I tried new churches. I tried, 
finding boys. I tried to find boys that would fix me. Um, <laughs> I dated a boy because he didn't drink for a moment. Um, I, I kept looking for externals for about two years to, to fix what was such an internal problem. And um, by the pandemic in May of 2020, I had my last blackout. Um, it, it was very public. And I reached out to a girlfriend of mine who had two years sobriety. She'd actually left New York very abruptly in spring of 2018. And I remember when she did that, I was like, what's she doing? Like, I wanted to follow her. I was, it was like, what? <laughs> like, that feels like where I'm supposed to be going. And instead I was like going to, you know, the nightclubs with yeah. she was leaving. And um, so I turned to her and I was just like, how do you do this? Like, I think I'm done. And she was like, oh yeah, I heard about your Saturday night. And I was like, how did you hear about it? You weren't there. And she's like, everyone heard about it, Serena. So um, yeah, and immediately I I just, you know, I, I stuck myself with her. I got really close to her. I kept close to um, some other women that she introduced me to. And, you know, my life got better one day at a time. Um, I, I learned what one day at a time means. Um, and, uh, you know, I started working a program of recovery that led me to some of the most incredible people I've met in my entire life. People who's, you know, I was joking with a friend last night who came with me to a, a non-sober friend's birthday party and he's, he's sober a couple of more years than I am. And I was like, yeah, you know, like I didn't go to hell and get out of hell to be unhappy. Like, you know, one day at a time, so long as I'm putting in this work every day and surrounding myself with people who, you know, are, are in a similar plane and who want to grow along these spiritual lines and want to grow on these personal, you know, goals and, and everything. Um, you know, life, life is so good. Um, I was, I was just walking home from meeting with someone that I've met through sobriety who has like this incredible job and like, you know, was telling me his whole career story. And like, you know, I, I hear it, like, there's just so much gratitude in this world. And like, it's, it's like, no matter who you are, um, I no longer am scared of people. I was terrified of other people. I was terrified of like, I'm going to say something and they're going to misconstrue it. And then my life will be over. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, I have faith in a higher power, something bigger than myself. And it's not one conventional religion. It's, it's a higher power that's come of my own understanding. And, um, you know, through that higher power, I have the faith that like what I'm doing today is just a part of a bigger plan. Um, and like, I'm not the conductor of this train. I'm, I'm on this little treadmill that's actually on this bigger train. And no matter how fast I run on this treadmill on the train and like try to control the elevation and whatnot, like it's not going to change how fast the train gets me to the destination. Um, and so, yeah, that was a lot, but my life's gotten really good. <laughs> I love that analogy. That's a great analogy. I'm wondering, I'm from New York city. Um, I'm curious about the role that New York played in those first four years, the culture of New York, the scene, the wealth. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think when I first got to New York, um, New York is the easiest place in the world to get drunk and the easiest place to get sober. Hmm. Um, there are so many people in the city and it really is a product of who you surround yourself with. Um, that first Tuesday night that I talked about that I, I, you know, start, had my first day of work and then I went and picked up drugs and was out till four in the morning. Like, you know, I could have easily met up with a friend who was like, you know, living like a really solid accountable life and, you know, wanted to play checkers and go to bed. Right, right. <laughs> um, 
I think though, for those first four years, I, I struggled with the idea of sobriety because I was that person that was like, anything can be a drinking event. Like, you know, we watch football on Sunday and you get drinks and you like grab coffee with a friend and suddenly you're at like a boozy ice cream store. Like the options are limitless, but the options are only limitless if that's what you're focusing on. The options are limitless in the other direction if that's what you're also focusing on too. Thank you so much for sharing all of that, by the way. Like that was the most vulnerable in-depth portrayal of your entire story. And that's going to be so helpful to so many people. I resonate in a million ways, especially being in college and knowing that that is just normal. Like I can imagine a friend going through a similar thing and I don't know that I'd notice it until senior year. Um, So what would you say to students in college now who are participating in that culture where it's like super normal to black out and laugh about it the next day? You know, like, how do we change that? Um, I would say that you cannot change it. What you can change is what you do in relation to it and how you react to it. Um, in college, I had a couple of friends who weren't blacking out and, um, you know, their example for me still sticks in my head to the day. Um, and, you know, they're now crazy in banks and top, you know, they're top high overachiever performers. And like, you know, their, their example for me was actually like, you know, I want to be just like them. Like, maybe I should go like talk to them and see what they're doing. And I think looking back at that time, like I needed that one friend to tell me, Serena, like, you don't have to drink like this. Like, I get it. And she knows she was like, I understand everyone else is doing it, but like, you don't have to, because I care about you. Um, and so, you know, that, that summer, summer 2019, I didn't really get into this, but pretty much every other weekend, it was like, uh, I'm not going to drink this weekend. Friends would show up. We'd not drink. We'd have a great weekend. The next weekend I go out without those, those friends and I go back out and then be like, oh, why did I do that? But then it was like, you know, as I slowly grew more of this community of people that said that I didn't have to black out, my addict brain was able to be like, okay, like maybe I can change the way that I think about this because I have this community. The opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is community. And so surrounding those people that you see in college who like, you know, might really be struggling with, um, whatever substance or whatever like eating disorder or whatever you like you feel like they could be struggling with like just surrounding them with love I think um you know there's two things that are unconditional in this world it's there's unconditional love and there's unconditional surrender like I am not the conductor and I don't know what's what's going to happen tomorrow um and I have to humble myself to know that every single day and in humbling myself that's where I start to feel that unconditional love um and like I don't think that I ever would have gotten to this point that I know those two things about my life and about this world if I wasn't surrounded by people who showed me that there is love in this world and that I could form a community of really strong people that I I really, really identify with and relate to. Um, And, you know, in that, I definitely had to raise my hand though too, Mm -hmm. um, eventually. But, you know, that wasn't in the control of anyone else around me. So if if you're wondering what to do, I think it's just show up for people and know, and and show them that like unconditional love is a thing and that right. they don't have to have all the answers. Mm-hmm. And that community that you're referring to, that is the opposite of addiction are most of the people you're surrounded by sober. So I would say my, my life is really big. <laughs> um, the idea of not surrounding myself with people who drink and like only people who are sober 
it just like never was going to fly. Um, and you know, people, they say like, you go to the barbershop enough, you're going to get a haircut. Like I never wanted to let go of being a 20 year old and going to bars with friends. Yeah. Um, and so I think that what's been important for me is, is keeping my social circles like very clear. Mm-hmm. Um, I do this like kind of funny exercise where I'll put, I make like an inner circle and that's like my core people that like, that's my community. That's my tribe. And those are the people that like help me. I help them. We lift each other up. Um, you know, there is that unconditional love aspect to them. And then I kind of draw, I draw a second circle and that's the people who like, they might be newer in my life or they might just not be on the inner circle level. And it's like, it's very intuitive as I'm thinking about people, like where they lie as I'm writing their names on this piece of paper. And there's an outer circle. And that's like people who I want to nurture people who I've, probably recently met or haven't been connected to in a while reconnected with and I just want to go nurture those people and then on the rest of the paper is the space and the space is where I put those people that are not helping me and I don't know how to help them Mm. Uh, like that like idea of community and connection is not as strong with them and for me like I'm just such a visual person like I need to see it visually like that in order for me to like kind of like, you know, walk around during the day and like yeah. have an idea of what I want to do and who I want to see and who I want to grab lunch with. Yeah. Oh, but that keeps you very on task about, you know, your values and who you want to surround yourself. So I think that's amazing. And that's a very good idea. I might have to do that as well. How was it the first few weeks, month, six months being sober for you? Um, funny. So in, for me, um, does it get easier? Do you, you know, so the first night, my first real 90 days, it was the, it was the summer. So my, my last drink was on Memorial day. So the first 90 days was basically till labor day. And for me, summers were a time of free for all like reckless behavior. Um, and so that summer, I just stayed really close to the people that I would consider that inner circle. Um, and I, I distanced myself from the people that I would put on the like blank page. Um, I think that was probably one of the most important things that I've ever done. And then I started bringing people into my life that I met through that inner circle who had what I wanted and like consciously just said, sorry, I'm really busy right now. And we were in a pandemic. So like, I could actually just say, sorry, worried about COVID. (laughs) Yeah. And so, you know, something that I've learned too in my sobriety is that like, no is a full answer. Like you can just say no to someone and be like, sorry, I don't have time right now. And, and like, you know, if those relationships fall apart, that's okay. Because like, I know where they stand in my life. And I know that like, you know, in, in that first 90 days, it was really hard for me to let go of those, some of those relationships, but the people who I was trying to nurture and the people that were in that inner circle were making it really easy for me to see that I did need to let go of some of those relationships. Yeah. It sounds like what was key to your sobriety was really being super intentional and blunt about what you needed out of your relationships. Um, is something I think we we all can benefit from because it's easy to want to be social and well-liked and just have a good impression on everyone and form those connections with whoever will listen. Uh, That's really not productive in the long run, especially in a time that you really need like that unconditional love. You can't get that from random people. I was going to say, you could still definitely try to find it. And I'm not going to say that I didn't try to find it during those first 90 days, but, you know, having that really strong community behind me that I really purposely kind of built for myself. Um, and, you know, I, I took the suggestions of other people who'd done it before me really, really, really clearly um, and closely. 
I, at that time it was, you know, my first 90 days was definitely a very humbling experience. Um, I had to admit that I didn't know how to live without drugs and alcohol. Um, and I was like, you know, dating, especially like being in your twenties, you want to go and date, have fun, find the love of your life, everything. And like for that first year, I had to date myself. Um, I went on some like pretty bad dates because I actually still had no idea who I was. Like I, I had to spend that first full year putting in the conscious work and the conscious effort of, you know, a program of recovery in order to, at the end of that year, come out and be like, oh, wait, you know what? Like, I actually really don't like that person because of these values or this stuff. Like, you know, I, I had that, that idea. I think, um, Jack, maybe you just mentioned of like wanting to be like loved by everyone and like wanting to love everyone. And like, what I got out of that year of dating myself was that I actually don't have to love everyone, but I can show love to everyone. You know, I would just say that most of my life, like, I think I probably said that we're grateful. I hope I've said that we're grateful in this talk like a million times. <laughs> um, because I, there's this great quote, a grateful drunk never gets drunk again. Um, and so, you know, I have to be grateful every single day of my life and not take it for granted that, you know, I am, I am an alcoholic, I am an addict. And like my natural state is to rely on externals in order to feel better. But so long as I do this work and I surround myself with a community of people who, are like-minded, um, you know, I'm not seeking something external to myself. I'm actually fully aware and connected to, you know, a power greater than myself. Um, they say that like addiction is not, you know, a, a, I forget what it is, but you know, they say that addiction is a spiritual disease. Um, and for me, I always had a God-sized hole because I thought that I was God or I was absolutely nothing <laughs> and there, I, I couldn't you know I couldn't live in that like middle ground I had to know the answer and it's either a yes or a no and um you know what sobriety has given me is the ability to live in that gray zone live in that like both and space mm -hmm. and know that my greatest act of humility today is to say that I actually don't know everything um and that that act of humility is actually what I think gives me the most freedom to live a really big life devoted to service of like my fellows around me um and like I feel like this is like a lot <laughs> and like who knows if it's relatable but um I think at the end of the day if you're questioning if you have a an issue with drinking or with drugs or you know reliance on something over shopping over gambling over you know doing stuff to to these extents of addiction there are so many resources out there for you you just have to google you just have to type and you just have to reach out and you just have to show up. My dad has always told me the recipe for success in life is showing up. And, you know, when I was stuck in those diseases and, and in like that dis-ease in myself, that discomfort, I couldn't show up for myself, let alone absolutely anything else. Mm -hmm. um, and so like, I would just urge anyone who like, you know, is listening and everything, like just show up for yourself, do the Google search, pick up the phone, call someone if you're at all questioning that you might have like an unhealthy relationship with something, like there are resources out there and there are entire communities for you to talk to and connect with who like thousands and millions of people have been through the exact same experience and they've gotten out of it and there is a solution to it. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I'm grateful that you went through everything that you did because now you've grown, you have learned, you are so confident and 
so well spoken, Serena. Thank you so much for coming on. But also now that you have gone through all of that and grown, you can give yourself to others and help others and unconditionally, right? Like I said. So thank you. I mean, just so much. I cannot say any more. Thank you, really. For more conversations like these or to find a support system near you, go to generationsos.org.